0: Another episode of CQP Moments. As always, I'm your host, the Coupon Queen. And guys, this is part two of my interview with Tamina Watson. So if you missed part one, definitely go back and check it out and then come back and listen to part two. So let's take a moment out and I'll be right back with Tamina.
1: And, and we see them affecting our clients very directly. So when you are seeing something in the news, that is not the whole story. And, that's an, and even if it is an accurate story, it's only a little part of it. You know, it's not just about the border, it's not just about this or that, it's everything. How can I talk about everything? And that's where my column above the law comes into place, because I'm able to talk about what I'm seeing and how we need to change them. And incidentally, I got, a, I've got very lucky that Entrepreneur Magazine took me on as a, a contributor. So I've started writing articles there too. And so I love it. I love informing and educating um, while practicing law, because I feel as though I'm making a difference.
0: Well, you definitely are. You definitely are. I wanted to ask, um, going back to the border, because that's what a lot of us know. You know, we know all the stuff that was going on in the previous administration um, and all of the gatekeeping, so to speak. But what happened to those children? Because we heard the stories of children being separated. Are are we in the process of finding families? Are we in the process of, you know, fostering families? Because I know that there were so many good hearted families that were saying, you know what, I will foster a child if it can keep them out of a place like that. So, what are what are what are we doing now under the current administration? Are we locating families, trying to unite them? What?
1: Really good question. So, first of all, this administration is not separating children. So, everybody will be relieved to hear that. Um, One of the first tasks that this administration took on was to try to reunite those families and they have a separate task force for it. And that task force has found a lot of the children. I'm not up to date on the current status of it, but I do know that they're working on it. Um, What will go down in history is that that was a dark period uh, in, in, in American history where we were using immigration laws to really create a human injustice. But this administration is trying to make amends with that and trying to find those children. But the border issue, which, you know, is something that your listeners might be seeing in addition to 90 days, is that it is a complicated situation. There's no question. And it is so big a problem that it dwarfs all the other immigration issues in the media. And what this administration is trying to do, which is different from previous ones is to really look at the root cause of the problem. You know, our vice president and the, um, a shout out to her having our first female um, woman of color as price, vice yeah, president. Yeah, I
0: haven't, for those who are asking, no, no ladies and gentlemen, I have not gotten my pearls yet, but I definitely have my job.
1: <laughs> we'll have to get pearls together, <laughs> but you know, let's just take a moment to celebrate that. You know, we are- I know,
0: talking- I know, it, it is a huge, huge thing. It's huge. I mean, we've never we've always had a first lady, but we've never actually had a woman in a lead role in the White House. And I mean, no, no disrespect to Condoleezza Rice, but she wasn't the president or the vice president.
1: Mhm and so we and she's a woman of color you know parents were immigrants i mean it, it's a moment to celebrate especially on a show like this where we're talking about immigration and you are the host it's it's a moment but she is taking she's been charged with dealing with the root causes of immigration and you know it, it's it's an emotional subject matter of course but they're dealing with it in a humane way and i think the problem is so big that this administration has only been in office for six months. It's a, a problem that has been caused and created and, you know, snowballed over the last decade or two or even longer doesn't get resolved in one day. So we need to give the administration some time uh, to really work out how it's going to be you know, dealing with it. But one thing I will say is that they are looking at uh, the court system to see how they can fast track some of these families that are coming together and get them through the system quicker. And that's called dedicated docket. And my hope is that this administration is trying to think outside the box about how to create a system that will be uh, just and efficient, and and we'll see. I mean, this is a complex problem that didn't arise in the last six months. It's it's taken a long time. So, for listeners who are watching the news and you know thinking about how this can be solved, I'd say, you know, be an advocate. Go into your community and see how you can contribute to the to the issue. How can you be helpful? Um, but also support the organizations that are on the ground doing the work and you know wherever advocacy is necessary call your senator call your congressperson and say i want to see this reform or i want to see this better because your congressperson is your representative your voice and if you do not hear your voice how will they know what you think
0: exactly exactly now the question that i have been having also is are we seeing more hiding due to COVID? Um, you know, because we did have a lot of undocumented people who just pretty much pre COVID went into hiding, where you would see they would send the child that they felt was old enough to go to the store or do certain errands because they were afraid of being found. So are we seeing more hiding due to COVID because everyone is inside?
1: You know, I will preface that with saying we have an administration that uh, overturned a lot of the policies that the previous administration put in. And those policies were the ones that caused fear and anxiety for people to do exactly what you've mentioned, because when the previous administration came in, they had two executive orders before the travel ban. And those two executive orders were essentially about interior enforcement, and border security. The border security one is what led to the children being separated eventually, but the interior enforcement one was where everybody was a priority, whether you had a criminal conviction or not. If you were just a simpleton living life with a mixed status family, you were also a priority. So that's the example that you gave. And when President Biden came into office, he's lifted those and changed those policies so that the uh, people who are a threat to public security are truly uh, the priorities to be picked up. So that fear, whether it's gone or not from people individually, that fear in a general sense should not necessarily be there in the same way. And just to give you a picture, your listeners may or may not know this, but the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, has three agencies. USCIS, the one that deals with the K-1 and other visas that you hear on 90 days, but there's the Customs and Border Protection, and they are the folks who are at the borders, meaning at the you know, land borders or the airports, their custom. And then there's um, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE. Now, ICE is the agency, so these three agencies are under one umbrella. And so ICE is the agency that would enforce immigration laws on the ground within the the borders. So that person, that description you gave, example you gave, that person would ordinarily be afraid of ICE. But the priorities have changed. Therefore, my understanding is they're not necessarily um, acting in the same way that uh, they had done previously. And so with COVID, what has happened is of course, there's been a retraction of older people outside. And so I've not heard a lot of um, distressing stories. uh, And it could be both because the policies have changed as well as uh, people are within their homes primarily. And so um, I'd say that we are in hope, better times than we had been in the last four years. But there's more to be done.
0: Well, it seems like you're definitely leading the charge. Well,
1: <laughs> not, not quite, but I, I'm definitely I'm able to tell you what's happening. And the other thing I will say is ICE at the moment is really making some you know uh, policy changes that are humane and just or trying at least because so,
0: so they're changing within within their own infrastructure
1: they're trying. So, you know, within the immigration court system, for example, the prosecutors, quote unquote, prosecutors are ICE lawyers. And there are memos out there that are basically giving instructions to collaborate and cooperate on cases that is just inhumane. So there are efforts that are going on and we'll have to see how they eventually work out because courts are still closed. Um, But there are efforts and I would commend the efforts that are going on. There's also cohesive collaboration between agencies. So for example, the Department of Justice is you know, working with ICE and the immigration court system and the immigration system, something that we hadn't seen in the last four years, um, because they're really trying to come together to have a unified way of addressing these bigger problems.
0: OK, speaking of unification, this is going to be one of my last questions. Um, speaking of unification, does, because I know these agencies are federal, do they still defer to the states in certain things? In other words, we know that certain laws change from state to state but we are dealing with a federal agency, even though they're you know, different parts of the same agency, we're still dealing with a federal agency. Do they defer certain things to the state saying, okay, well, this is your ruling, this is how you're going in, or are they saying, you know what, we're federal, we're taking over?
1: That's a really good question. And so the answer's simple, but not simple. Um, to simplify it, you know, immigration law is a federal law, which means that the law applies in the same way to every state. So if you're a 90 day, you know, um, person, wherever you go in the country, the rule will be the same. So uh, generally speaking, immigration laws are all the same everywhere in the country. What we saw in the last four years are what states were doing to protect residents of that state. So I live in Washington state. I'm very fortunate to have, um, you know, um, leaders who really care about the community. So in our state, for example, they created, you know, people might remember the word sanctuary city, uh, the phrase sanctuary city. Right, right.
0: We did hear that a lot.
1: Yeah, we heard that a lot and different cities did do that because they really wanted to make sure police did not cooperate, local state funded police did not cooperate with federal enforcement. And so a lot of those obviously came under litigation and the courts were deciding what is federal and what is not and what preempts state laws. And Sanctuary cities, for example, is one of those you know, controversial issues. But, you know, I think the the judges did favor that states have a say in, in this matter. The other thing that happened in a lot of states, New York did this, California did this, Washington state did it. There were legal defense funds created for immigration purposes. Now, that's state-funded ways to help immigrants with their legal representation in some form or another, and that's state only. We don't have a federal legal defense fund for immigration representation. So there are some things that the states can do to help towards specific issues, but as a whole, federal law, immigration law, is the same wherever you go in the country
0: wow okay okay so one more question and you know it had to be 90 day related (laughs) okay um I'm trying to figure out which couple I want to think about right now because there's been so much since we've talked so much
1: oh so much (laughs) you choose or you ask them both I'm happy to answer them
0: (laughs) so actually there's been a spinoff now we have where they're focusing more on the Caribbean. I know, I know you've, you've probably heard of a lot of these new streaming and one of the things new streaming things is Discovery Plus. So there have been a few spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one thing that was recently brought up was the timing it takes to get the K-1 visa. And I would like for you to clarify this because I know we went over this before. Now, the according to the American, she was saying it should only take four, three to four months. But she's saying because of COVID, it takes 10 to 11 months. I thought that you were saying that the, the process itself took 10 to 11 months or up to a year at least.
1: Yes. And so I'm going to remind your listeners about the steps that happen. And I will talk about the steps and then we'll talk about some pre-COVID timelines and COVID timelines. So the steps that happen. Number one is a U.S. citizen and only a U.S. citizen can file a form called I-129F. I-129F. When you file that form, that can take between four and six months, sometimes nine months, depending on how long it takes. That is the actual um, K-1 approval notice. When that notice, that piece of paper comes along, that's when step two needs to happen. Now, step two is sending financial um, sponsorship documents, other civil uh, documents directly to the embassy. And every embassy is different. They will tell you how to file it, you know, where to file it. And you have to file it to the embassy. When When the embassy is ready and that, you know, between the time you file to the time they see it, it could be, you know, several months. And when they're ready for you, step three is to go to an interview. And so from step one to step three, it could truly take pre-COVID nine to 12 months, you know. And what happened in COVID is that the embassies all shut down, no matter where you were in the world. And so what happens with these, you know, when the step one is completed and you have this piece of paper, that says your K1 has been approved, uh, and that's only step one, that has a time limit of four months. Like the embassy has to see you within that period. But what we saw was truly unprecedented. It's never happened in, in our lifetime where embassies have just completely shut down. And so they have had to keep those open and I actually haven't seen anybody get interviews at the embassies since COVID began. And so I don't have an end time of when these will actually conclude. So Uh, pre-COVID, it was about, you know, in total step one, two, three, you know, conservatively speaking, it would be about nine, 10 months. Post-COVID, I honestly couldn't give you a timeline. I think people have to walk away from this conversation thinking it could be close to 18 months two years depending on the embassy now embassies have started to see people and some embassies say that they haven't actually closed but the trouble is that they haven't been giving appointments out And so we do need to find ways where, um, you know, the agencies can be more efficient, you know, do remote interviews or, you know, figure out what modern technology can be used to facilitate these interviews. I haven't written this article yet. I hope people will follow my above the law column.
0: Well, guys, if you're not following above the law, you definitely need to be following. (laughs) I'm telling you all. Let me tell you something this woman is phenomenal i i will tell you this you are one of very few guests that i've had on more than twice
1: oh i'm so grateful so honored Thank so you.
0: definitely i i i tell you i always do background i always check and yes like i said we've chatted we've, we've caught up a little bit but not fully during COVID. so when i say tamina is the real deal she is the real deal. She believes in what she's doing, why she's doing it, and how she's doing it. And, and, and I, like I said, again, I have to take my hat off to you because you did this with a family during it seemed like when the world went upside down and you well, kept I'm going
1: so grateful so grateful what i was going to say is that the next one of the articles in the near future will be about love and covid and immigration you know we had a lot of clients you mentioned caribbean which is why it reminds me we had at least one client who had planned a beautiful ceremony in one of the caribbean countries and of course the world stopped and their plans just you know went up in the air and they were planning to file um Uh, you know, a marriage-based visa when that was going to be uh, done, but they had to put their lives on hold because they couldn't get Mm. married and they're in two different countries. So they can't actually come and visit as they would like to so they couldn't see each other they couldn't get married and then when eventually one of them was able to come to the U.S. they got harassed at the airport and so suddenly they were told well you've got to file a K-1 if you really want to keep doing this and so it's been it's been interesting to see how lives have been separated by you know from those who really want to be together and you know really want to start their lives together and it's just put everything on hold for them you know they a lot of people wanted to start their families but they're stuck in two different parts of the world you know they wanted to have babies and you know they can't you know they just want to live their lives and COVID plus immigration, you know, equals huge, big, you know, block in their lives, and it's it's just been affected in in different ways for different people.
0: Wow. Okay. So here is really one quick question, because I know in order to get that type of visa, you have to have proof that you are indeed in a real relationship, i.e., photos you know, videos of you guys together. So how would you, how doesn't or doesn't COVID make this difficult when you can't really travel to see that person? I mean- Such a
1: good question. Oh my gosh. You know, so evidence is everything. What I tell my clients is that when you file for immigration cases, you know, often people will say, well, I can just fill out a form. Isn't that going to be enough? And what I tell my clients is a form is really a vehicle for the government to take your application, take the fees and put you in a bucket. What wins your case is the evidence. So in this type of situation, whether it's a K-1 or a marriage-based green card, you do need to show... You to. you are in a real good faith loving relationship. Right. Now, how do you do that? And you need to do it on paper. So for K-1s, one of the starting points is that people each have to write a letter declaring the love and they're free to marry. But beyond that, you know, some of the evidence list can include phone bills to each other. You know, often these days it's WhatsApp or Zoom and maybe you can find some history for that. It's, um, you know, taking snapshots or screenshots. Videos don't necessarily work in the same way. The government is not looking at videos. They really do need to see it on paper, you know, in, in 2D, so to speak. Okay, okay. And so if you haven't, you know, you've got to think about you know, often I find that a lot of clients are sending money abroad. So there are Western Union receipts or PayPal, you know, receipts, and those are helpful. Um, Letters to each other, if you've sent cards to each other for birthdays or special occasions, those addresses and the mailing stamp and the card. Letters from friends are useful, you know, hey, I, you know, my daughter is in love with such and such person who came to visit us. And, They were, you know, they um, came to visit us pre-COVID. We had a great time, here's a picture. You've got to look at your own life and see what can you collect and you've got to think outside the box. Um, And that happens so frequently that, um, you know, not everybody's gonna have the same evidence, but generically speaking, screenshots, phone bills, whatever you can document, you've got to document.
0: Okay, well, see, I, I was just wondering, because I'm like, if you have to do everything virtually, how does this work?
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it's definitely interesting, you know, where um, we have to think outside the box all the time and sit down with our clients and sort of figure out what, what's going on with your life and what kind of paperwork can you generate? And um, I believe there are some apps that don't give you history, like a right. regular phone bill will right. give you history of your, you know, itemizations uh, of your calls with the numbers, but there are some apps that don't do it. And so it's, it's not necessarily easy, but you've got to do what you've got to do. Wow. Okay.
0: Well, you, you're hearing it here. I keep telling you, I come to debunk the myths, and this woman helps me do it.
1: Well, I'm so honored. Well, Queenpin, you're doing such an amazing service because- <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's difficult for people to understand, particularly in this era, when there's so much misinformation, what is the right thing? And what right, you have been right. able to do so successfully is to really tell people, you know, not just immigration, but, you know, so many things that you're putting them straight. And that absolutely deserves a lot of kudos.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So, Tell us again what your books are because guys, yes, it's going to be in the show notes, but you've got to get these books. You've got to, you've got to read what she is putting down.
1: Thank you so much, Queen Pin, for this opportunity. Uh, The book that just came out last week is called The Startup Visa. And it is actually um, on sale at the moment for 99 cents on on Kindle and then 50% off the paperback. And it's still available at the sale price, maybe for another few days. And I would love for you to get the book and pass it. And one of the questions I've gotten is who, who should read the book? Um, there's a lot of history in the book. So anybody should read it, even if just to learn about who are right. the immigrants who have made a difference to America, who are the immigrants who put America on the map. Um, so everybody should read it. But if we had to go narrower, anybody who is in the startup ecosystem, you you have founded a company and you are now, um, you're a business owner hiring employees. You should read the book. If you are the business owner with co-founders, partners who are immigrants, you should read the book. If you are an investor in in um, these startups, you should read the book. And if you are in, in higher education, you're an international student and you are thinking about your next step, you should read the book. If you're outside the US thinking, how do you come into the US? You should read the book. Um, It's like and if you're a politician, a lawmaker, policymaker, you should read the book. And the reason is it's 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 a short book, but it makes the point about what our current system is what's working, what isn't working, and why we need a specific visa category for startup founders. And now is the time, if you care about any of these issues, Congressman Lofgren just released a, a bill to cover this issue. And now is the time to advocate for it. If you care about it, call your congressperson and say, please pass the bill. There's there's a lot of work. And uh, Queenpin, I don't know if you've seen this or realized this, but advocacy is is a team sport, you know? Yes, it
0: is. It really you, is.
1: If you want to see change, you've got to be—you have to join voices, and I—and I hope people will do that. The other book, Legal Heroes, it's on Amazon. If you go Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you'll find it. But the Startup Visa is the one on my mind at the moment that just came out, and I—I I'd, I'd love your support in reading it and advocating for it and sharing it, and I'm very grateful. The audio book has been recorded already, and it will take a few weeks for it to come out.
0: Okay. So guys, of course, all of her information will be in the show notes. So you won't miss a thing. Tamina, thank you. It has been amazing. Thank having you. you again. And you, you, you know, once we, we figure out some more things, you know, I'm going to have some more
1: questions. Oh, I'm gonna be <laughs> so honored. I, I love what you're doing. And I know the show is amazing. And I know the viewers who watch it are amazing, too. So I'm just honored to be part of your life and your ecosystem.
0: Thank you. And for those that don't know, yes, Tamina has her own podcast. Oh, yes,
1: I do. Thank you. She has her own
0: podcast. So it's called uh, Samina
1: Talks Immigration. And in fact, there's a podcast series that is going side by side with the book release. So the national thought leaders and international leaders and entrepreneurship. They're all on my show talking about this very issue. So if you're interested, please listen. It's on iTunes and Spotify and Pandora or wherever you get your podcast, Tamina Talks Immigration.
0: Again, all of her information will be in the show notes. So Tamina, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Really.
0: So I hope that you enjoyed all of this. Again, this is part two, and check out her podcast, both of her books, her website, and her column, all of her information will be in the show notes, and you know she'll be back. But as always, guys, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and happy shopping.
1: Hi, this is Michelle Miller from Mentors on the Mic podcast, and you're listening to Coupon Queen Pin.